Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. It consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis, making it easier to manage your investments. Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Despite skepticism, I founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility. Through perseverance, I established myself as a leading voice in finance, proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. To get what you want, sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. The Peter Schiff Show. I am doing another live podcast today. It is Friday afternoon. The stock market just closed. And I thought it was important that I go live again. I don't actually have a lot of time. I got a card out on this podcast at 4.40 Eastern time because I have a interview with Dan Bongino from Fox that we are recording at 4.40. Then I actually have another interview after that. So I wanted to squeeze something in, but also I think that we could be setting ourselves up for a big move in the markets on Monday. And I want to start doing some coverage on Sunday night. So what I'm going to do on Sunday night, after the markets in Asia start trading, I'm going to do a live podcast Q&A on locals again so if you haven't already signed up for it you've got the rest of the weekend to get signed up you can just go to shift radio slash premium also to sign up for that special a live sunday night podcast in case we get some big follow-through in the markets sunday night monday morning because i think we really could be setting ourselves up for something big in advance of the decision that the Fed is going to announce next week on interest rates. Now, what is very significant about what just happened is yesterday, 
after the close, we got the numbers from the Federal Reserve on the balance sheet. And in the most recent week, the balance sheet soared by $300 billion. That wiped out the last four months of quantitative tightening. In fact, half of all the quantitative tightening that has taken place over the prior eight months is now gone. And I think by the end of the next week, the Fed's balance sheet could end up being larger than it was before quantitative tightening started. In other words, we've already di- we, we will do enough QE in two weeks to eradicate eight months of quantitative tightening. And if you remember, when the Fed first started its quantitative tightening program, I said it'll never finish. I said that it was going to have to reverse course. In fact, I always said the Fed would go back to quantitative easing before they cut interest rates. And that's what they did. In fact, I said on my podcast on Monday that I believed that quantitative easing had resumed on Monday. Now, the Federal Reserve didn't admit that. In fact, every time they get asked about it, they deny it. But what they've done is, in effect, quantitative easing. There's no difference. What the Fed is doing is they are taking mortgages and government securities onto their balance sheet and giving the banks cash. Well, what did they do when they were doing QE? They took government securities and mortgage-backed securities onto their balance sheets and they gave the banks cash, right? I mean, same thing, or they gave the government's cash. They, they swapped cash for government debt and mortgage-backed securities. Well, that's exactly what they're doing now. So, you know, QE by any other name, uh, you know, is still QE. And so they don't want to admit it, but that's what they're doing. But now that we actually get a look at the Fed's balance sheet, it confirms exactly what I've been saying. And I think the markets are reacting to that. It's kind of like a come to Jesus moment here where people are waking up. That's why the price of gold was up about $60 an ounce today, one of the strongest days in a while. It closed at 1976, still below 2000, but not for long. I think that gold could open for trading on Monday above $2,000 an ounce. Now, also what's interesting today is that the gold stocks finally woke up. They closed up about 5.5% intraday. I think they were up more like 6.5%, so a little bit of profit-taking into the close. Gold backed off a little bit off its highs uh, late in the day, but kept the vast majority of its gains. But the Dow Jones was down about 400 on the day. At one point, it was down about 500. Uh, NASDAQ down not as much. You know, we still have had some big outperformance on the tech name. So while the, the, the Dow was down on the week, the NASDAQ was still positive. So a lot of these money losing companies are still enjoying some relative strength. I think that is just temporary. I do expect these stocks to be rolling over, uh, but they have rallied. But the interesting thing is that after several days of following the general stock market lower, Gold stocks finally followed the price of gold higher and had a very strong day. 
And I think we finally decoupled. I think that if gold keeps going up, which is what I believe it will, then the gold stocks have a lot of catching up to do. Because given how much gold has already moved up, you know, up better than $100 on the week, gold stocks have a lot of lost ground to make up. Because up until today, they were ignoring, or gold traders were ignoring the strength in gold, and they were selling gold stocks anyway. I was pointing this out. I was tweeting about it, that this was a, a, a gift horse opportunity because the markets are now figuring this out. I mean, they're just starting. They haven't figured it out completely yet, but they're starting to realize that inflation is going to rage because the Fed is done with the fight. Think about it. First of all, the Federal Reserve had a two-pronged attack on inflation. They were doing two things to bring inflation back down to 2%. One of those two things was rate hikes. The other was quantitative tightening, shrinking their balance sheet. Both of these policies were designed to reduce inflation. They were both inflation fighting because they were tightening. The Fed was raising interest rates with the one hand, and on the other hand, it was removing the excess liquidity that it had put into the economy. Now, the Fed has stopped quantitative tightening. But not only has it stopped, it is doing the reverse. It is back to quantitative easing, which is an inflationary policy. And the Fed admitted that because if quantitative tightening is supposed to reduce inflation, well, then wouldn't the opposite, quantitative easing, increase inflation? Of course it will. So the Fed has already reversed course. And one of its uh, weapons, it's now reversed and it's firing the other way, right? It's, it, it's now uh, causing inflation with its balance sheet. Now, the other prong in its two-pronged attack were rate hikes. Now, the question is, will the Fed continue to hike rates? So will it tighten with its left hand while it's easing with its right hand? Now, first of all, even if it does hike rates, so what? Because any impact will be more than negated by the quantitative easing. The quantitative easing is more inflationary than a quarter point rate hike, which is really the only one that is on the table, even though they kind of bluffed 50 basis points a week or so ago. That seems completely out of the question. But even if they hike by 25 basis points, so what? What they're doing with their balance sheet it will more than offset that. But why would the Fed even hike 25 basis points? To me, given that they've gone back to quantitative easing, it doesn't make any sense that they would tighten while they're easing. At a minimum, I think they will pause where they are. Now, in theory, they could cut, but I think that would be too much of a shock for the markets. The Fed typically doesn't do that. I mean, I wouldn't completely rule it out, but that is not how they behaved. But I think what they will be able to do is justify nothing. Most people still expect the Fed to hike 25 basis points. But to me, again, that makes no sense, given that they've already started QE. Plus, if they raise interest rates, they will put more downward pressure 
on longer-term bonds and mortgage-backed securities, the very ones that the banks are loaded up with and that they're now uh, swapping with the Federal Reserve. So if the Fed hikes rates, it's going to worsen the banking crisis that already exists and force it to do even more QE. So why would it want to do that? I think the Fed would want to stop that to not put any additional pressure on a situation that already has a lot of pressure. So it makes more sense to me that the Fed will come back and say, we're pausing given all this data. After all, we said we were data dependent and we are. They could point to the big drop in oil prices and say, hey, that shows that inflationary pressures are easing. They can talk about the impact that the banking uh, failures could have on the economy and consumer confidence. So there's a lot of data that they can point to to try to save face and not hike rates. As a public person, I am hyper aware of safety and security. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online, and it makes sure it stays offline. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process, helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts will take it from there. Delete Me sends you regular personalized privacy reports showing what information they found, where they found it, and what they removed. Delete Me isn't just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information that you don't want on the internet. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom gold and use the promo code gold at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash gold and enter code gold at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash gold, code gold. We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a life therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash gold. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. I think the risk that the Fed takes, if they in fact hike rates, is what if things get a lot worse 
and then they have to cut them because the bond market is already pricing in cuts, you know, by the summer. Uh, so why would the Fed hike rates 25 basis points and then turn around and cut them by 50 basis points or 75 basis points? Wouldn't they look really foolish if they put in one more hike and then went from a hike to a cut? I think they would save face somewhat, although they shouldn't be saving anything. I mean, they should have no credibility. But I think it makes more sense for the Fed to go to a pause before a cut than to go hike and cut, because hike and then cut makes them look even more incompetent. At least if they pause and then cut, they could say, see, we did the right thing by pausing. But if they hike then it's and then cut, well, then it's an admission that they never should have hiked in the first place, right? So to save that little bit of credibility, I think next week the Fed is going to do nothing, which amounts to another ease. They've already gone to quantitative easing from quantitative tightening, and they're about to go from hiking rates to a pause, which is another ease, and which is merely a prelude to a cut. So now the tightening cycle is over, for the precise reasons I always said it would end. The Fed was going to tighten until they broke something and they broke the banks, which is what I've been saying. I've been saying all along, there is no way the Fed can fight inflation without creating a financial crisis. And that's what they've done. And if they keep fighting inflation, this financial crisis will be much worse than 2008 and nobody can be bailed out because you can't have bailouts and an inflation fight at the same time because the bailouts are paid for by creating inflation. They have to expand the balance sheet to bail anybody out because the government doesn't have any money. The government is broke. The government is running massive deficits. And in fact, the Fed is broke. The Fed is losing money. So nobody can be bailed out without the creation of additional inflation. That's how I knew we were going to end up in the precise predicament that we're now in. The fact that so many other so-called experts couldn't see this, despite the fact that it was obvious, just shows you that they're not experts at all. They don't know what they're talking about. And the fact that we haven't had a crisis in the last 10 years isn't because these guys were right. It's because so many of them were wrong that we were able to kick the can down the road for as many years as we have. But there's no more road. There's no more can kicking. This is the it. This is the real crash. This is what I've been forecasting and positioning my clients for, for over a decade. We're finally going to have to deal with the inflationary uh, consequences of the monetary policy mistakes. We, we caught a break in a way, although the, the, the extra time just enabled us to make the problem worse. But we should have had a currency crisis and a runaway inflation a decade ago in response to QE1, QE2. But we didn't. The strong dollar that we got early on kind of gave us a reprieve. We were able to export a lot of our inflation. The, the stock market went up. The real estate market went up. And so we did all this quantitative easing, but we didn't have to pay the price. Now we're having to pay a much bigger price because we did much more quantitative easing. And one way to know that it's different is look what's happening to gold and the dollar. The dollar was down today. Gold was up today. In fact, the dollar has been somewhat lower. It hasn't crashed, but it hasn't taken off. It hasn't surged. But you go back 
to the early days of the 2008 financial crisis, the dollar was going ballistic. It immediately went straight up. Didn't happen this time. Gold started to sell off in the 08 financial crisis. Not this time. Gold is going in the other direction. So this is different. And there's two reasons for that. One, when the financial crisis started in 2008, gold was at 1,000. It had gone up from under 300 in 2001 to 1,000. So it had a huge move up. It was due for a correction. Everybody was long gold because it had this big run. The dollar index was down at near 70, all-time record low in the summer of 2008. So everybody was short the dollar. And so when the crisis happened, people covered those dollar shorts. They took profits on their gold. And so we had these moves. But now, fast forward uh, 15 years to 2023, you don't have a lot of people long gold. Gold's had a 10-year consolidation. Gold is still below its peak uh, from 2011. Silver is way below its peak. It got up to $50 an ounce in 2011. It's 20 now. So you don't have that situation. So people are more likely to rush into gold and silver than take profits on gold and silver. And where's the dollar index? It's above 100. It's around 104. It's nowhere near 70. So everybody owns the dollar. It's a crowded trade. So now it's going to be the reverse. It's going to be sell dollars, buy gold and silver, but also now we're going to get the inflation we should have got a decade ago, only worse, because look where we're starting. The Federal Reserve has not only ended its tightening cycle, it's already began an easing cycle. This is the new easing cycle. The balance sheet is going to explode to new highs. Soon it's going to be above $9 trillion. I think it'll end the year well above $10 trillion. We're going to probably, we could be above $10 trillion by next month. Right? So we're doing massive quantitative easing. We haven't had rate cuts yet, but there's certainly no more hikes or at most one more tiny hike if we even get that. But I doubt we will. And we may get some cuts. So the Fed is starting an ease with year-over-year inflation at 6%. Nowhere near 2%. And what do you think is going to happen to commodity prices when the Fed eases? They're going to go ballistic. The gold price is going to go ballistic. In fact, I think there's a good chance that it's going to go ballistic next week when we get the Fed announcement, when the Fed officially pivots, because unofficially they haven't. I mean, they haven't admitted it, right? I mean, they, they have. I mean, duh, they've pivoted. Look at the balance sheet. They're, they've gone back to QE. But they may actually admit that they've pivoted by a pause, and it's even possible we get a cut. And if we get a cut, you know that all hell was about to break loose if the Fed is going to have to preemptively cut rates when people are expecting a hike. But that's possible that that happens. But even if they just pause, right, that's an official pivot because prior to the pause, they were telegraphing additional hikes. If the market doesn't get hikes that were already priced in, they have to be priced out. And so this could be you know, like a wily coyote moment for the markets, you know, looking down, seeing no ground. And, you know, you just drop to, you know, to the bottom of the canyon. And so what I think people should be doing is loading up on gold and silver. And I've been saying this and saying this and certainly pounding the table even harder since this crisis began a week ago when I started doing these live 
podcasts. But if you haven't taken my advice yet, if you've been on the fence and you haven't bought your gold or silver, or you've bought some, and but you, you know you want to have more, but you weren't sure when to buy, you got to buy. You got to buy this weekend. Don't even wait for Monday morning. Now, it's possible that we could get a pullback. I mean, that's just a risk you have to take for waiting so long. You shouldn't have waited for 1960, 1970. You should have bought that last pullback. Gold hit 1,800 last week, right? That was the low, 1,800. I've been telling you that 1,800 is a support. So yes, better to buy at 1,800 than 1,976, which is where we are now, but better to buy at 1,976 than not buy at all and watch gold go through the roof next week. So I've talked to the guys at Shift Gold. In fact, that's why I've got the Shift Gold uh, you know, uh, logo up on this podcast because I talked to the guys at Shift Gold and they're all going to work this weekend, right? So the markets are closed, uh, but the gold market goes 24-7. And of course, you know, it's not going to be that volatile over the weekend. It's not really going to see any real action until Sunday night when Asia starts trading. But I think when the Asians look at the gold chart, they just may start buying and it could just go straight up. So what I would do, I wouldn't wait for that. I would just buy this weekend. I would just call up Shift Gold and fill up your gold position. Whatever your you know, full exposure was going to be, don't wait. Just you know, top your position up or start a position if you don't already have one and just buy on tonight, by Friday night, by Saturday. You have all day Saturday, then you got Sunday morning to to buy and at least lock up the coins because I have a feeling there's going to be such a surge in buying that by next week we could have shortages of the coins. You won't be able to get them or you could buy them, but you may wait months to get delivery because the whole world is starting to wake up to this banking crisis. You know, I was watching... Uh, a uh, Senate hearing, or Congress, I don't know which one it was, the House or the Senate, but Janet Yellen was being questioned. And there was a guy, a representative or a senator from Oklahoma, I'm pretty sure that was the state, and he he cornered Janet Yellen, and he said, "Uh, Madam uh, Secretary, does this mean that all the banks in Oklahoma, if they fail, that everybody's account is protected 100%. So if I have a constituent, you know, with $5 million in the bank, is he, can he rest assured that if his bank fails, his account is going to be protected? And Janet Yellen said, no, he doesn't have that insurance. The only banks that have that assurance are these too big to fail banks, or in the case of Silicon Valley Bank, or Signature Bank, the reason they got the guarantee, according to Janet Yellen, is that a supermajority of the members of the FOMC and her, the Treasury Secretary, got together and they all agreed that this was a special situation, that had they failed to cover 100% of the deposits of these giant corporations or extra wealthy individuals, right? Had they let these companies lose money, it would have been a systemic threat to the country, which is a lie. I mean, it would have been bad, but we don't have to bail out all these rich people to save everybody else. 
we should have let them lose some money. But Janet Yellen admitted that, look, these big banks with these big customers, we decided to extend this extra benefit to them. But that doesn't mean that if you have an account at some small bank, well, that you have any protection whatsoever. Because if your bank isn't systemically important, but it fails, well, we're only going to cover you to 250. You know, you're on your own for everything over that. So this congressman pointed out, well, if that is the case, Madam uh, Secretary, you know what is happening right now in Oklahoma is people are taking their money out of small banks. They don't want to risk having their money there. Now, if they have under 250, okay, that's covered. But small businesses or wealthier individuals that were doing business with these smaller banks, that actually could be sound. You know, they could be much sounder than some of these gigantic banks that are now too big to fail or systemically important, right? He said that people are taking money out of these banks and sending them to Bank of America, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, or even ironically to Silicon Valley Bank. You know, Silicon Valley Bank is actually advertising. I saw on Twitter uh, an ad campaign. They're actually encouraging people to transfer money to the new Silicon Valley Bank that is run by the U.S. government because it's one of the only banks where you are guaranteed not to lose money. No matter what stupid things Silicon Valley does, no matter how much they lost, the U.S. government will guarantee 100% of your account. Even the systemically important too-big-to-fail banks can't say that. Now, you know, if they can't fail, well, then nobody can lose. But now you have a couple of banks that have a huge competitive advantage over every other bank because those are the only banks that have already been deemed 100% covered. So what's happening? Money is going there. Ironically, instead of people taking money out of those bankrupt banks, they're rushing to put more money in. But where are they getting the money? They're taking it out of the more solvent banks, potentially rendering them insolvent because in a fractional reserve banking system, you get a big enough bank run, you're out of business, right? And that could happen now to a lot of these smaller banks. And as more and more people understand that this type of banking crisis is now real, because if it wasn't going to happen on its own, the government just started it with this policy. And the interesting thing was, so this congressman just tells Janet Yellen what is happening as a direct result of what she did, right? And Janet Yellen's answer was, well, that wasn't our intention. Well, <laughs> sure, maybe that wasn't her intention. But the problem is, just like all these politicians and bankers, they don't understand unintended consequences. Because just because you don't intend to do something doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. You have to follow the steps, the moral hazard, connect the dots, which is something nobody in government does. They simply blindly look at a policy and they say, we're going to do this. And they expect all these good things to happen. But then they don't understand what the policy itself is going to produce, the result, the moral hazard of your policy. So the minute the government decided, oh, we can't allow this bank to fail because it's so big, we have to protect the large deposits, they're sending a message to every customer of a small bank, you better get out of that small bank because you, you, that bank might fail, 
it's probably loaded up with treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, just like Silicon Valley Bank was. But if you're in some little, you know, bank, uh, you know, you're, you're on your own. Who the hell wants to be there? How can these banks survive? So now, what does the government have to do? Right? Well, they have to, two wrongs make a right. What the government has to do is now they have to explicitly extend that coverage to every bank. They have to now change the FDIC and they have to say, don't worry, we will cover 100% of the accounts for everybody. So they make one mistake and now they have to follow it up by making another mistake to try to counteract the mistake they made in the first place. No, they're, they're not going to reverse that decision. They never do that. They never make a mistake and then undo the mistake. They just make more mistakes to try to counteract the balance, counteract the damage of a prior mistake. So that guarantees that you just compound one mistake on another mistake. But all of this means inflation spirals out of control because either we have this banking crisis because they don't extend the FDIC or they do extend it. And that means the federal government assumes trillions and trillions of additional liabilities onto the debt. And this is a warning sign to the entire world uh, of what's about to happen, which is a dollar crisis, a sovereign debt crisis. Because as I have been warning, this is the moment where the world finally wakes up. It's the emperor has no clothes because Powell was saying, don't worry, we have the tools, we can fight inflation, we can bring it back down to 2%, it's not going to hurt the economy, everything is cool. And then a couple of weeks later, we're in a financial crisis and even though inflation is still 6%, they're back to quantitative easing. They've had to call off the rate hikes, getting ready for rate cuts. What does that tell you? What I've been telling you, inflation is here to stay. The Fed doesn't have the tools to bring inflation back down to 2%. And if it has them, it will not use them because of the collateral damage. In order for the Fed to follow through with its commitment, it has to ignore the financial crisis, but it's already chosen not to. It's already showed its cards. It backed this bank bailout. It expanded its balance sheet. It went from doing quantitative tightening to quantitative easing without an announcement, nothing. They just went and did it. What does that tell you about its resolve to fight inflation? It was BS the entire time, which is exactly what I said. I said the Fed's willingness to fight inflation would only last until there was some real damage in the financial system, in the economy. And that's what happened. So as long as they can pretend everything was great, they could pretend they would fight inflation. But now that they can no longer pretend that everything is great, then they have to stop pretending that they can fight inflation. And when the markets now realize that inflation is not going back down to 2% ever, it is going to be much higher than that, they have to reprice a lot of assets. Now, they should reprice the long-term bond market, but the government won't let that happen because they're going to be printing a lot of money to try to buy up those bonds to keep the prices from falling and the yields from rising. But they won't be able to stop the dollar from falling, especially in the environment today where so many other countries that used to be the biggest buyers of dollars are now trying to de-dollarize and get rid of dollars. And they're not going to be able to stop the price of gold and silver from rising. Because if you have to now recalculate what gold is worth 
in a world where inflation never comes back down to 2%. Let's say it's 6, 7, 8%. I think it's going to go into the double digits officially, which means unofficially it's in the double digits where the first digit is a 2 or a 3. It is massive inflation. Now you have to figure out what is the present value of gold in that world. It is much higher than 1900. It's higher than 3,000. It's higher than 5,000, in my opinion. Now, will we get to 5,000 next week? Probably not. But we can get a lot closer than we are right now. We can gap right through 2,000. We can take out the all-time high, which is not even 2,100. And then we can have a moonshot. And obviously, if gold's going to the moon, silver is going to go further. So maybe silver is going to go to Mars or Venus or something like that. So again, what I would do, and this is not panic. I recognize that it's possible that this doesn't happen, that maybe the price of gold and silver pull back next week. I don't know. I don't think there's a lot of downside risk, though even if you buy it over the weekend at shift gold and you get a little pullback, it's like, ah, I could have waited till Monday and I could have saved a little bit. You know, it's better. What if, what if we just take off? What if gold gaps up $100 on, on Monday? Uh, and then what if the premiums really skyrocket on Monday because people try to buy these coins and, you know, there's no more left? Because that's the other thing that happens. Not only does the price of gold go up, but the premiums for the physical gold go up even more. Because I think everyone around the world, really, they want to get out of the banking system. And, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, why do you think Bitcoin, I think this is a sucker rally, but Bitcoin surged again today. Let me see where it is. Bitcoin is at just under 27,000 now. Big jump again today because people are rushing into this as a safe haven. I think they're going to get burned. They're, gonna, they're in for a rude awakening. The real safe haven is gold and silver. But people are worried about this banking crisis because they're damned if they do, if they're damned if they don't. If, this, if the central banks bail out the banks, then the money in your bank account loses tremendous value. If they don't bail out the banks, then you lose your money because your bank fails. So either way, you don't want money in the banks because either you get your money back and it has little value or you don't get your money back at all. You get some of your money back. So you want to get out of the system. You want to withdraw money from the bank and buy gold or silver. And this is not just in the U.S. I think this is going to happen all around the world as we have a loss of confidence in banks and government guarantees. And everybody around the world starts to brace for even higher inflation. For years, they've been lying to us. There's no inflation. Then when it reared its head, they said it was transitory. Then they told us, don't worry about it. We're going to fix it. Well, now the world's going to know they can't fix it. They're going to have to worry about it more than ever. Inflation is going to eviscerate the value of everybody's bank account unless they act quickly to turn their fiat currency into real money. And again, as I've been saying, if you really want to make a killing off of this, you buy the gold stocks, but you can't buy those over the weekend. Uh, you know, we're not open for business in the stock market probably until Monday morning. So if there's a big gap up in physical gold, then these gold and silver mining stocks may gap up on Monday. But even if they do, it's not too late to buy them. I mean, I think that we have a long way to go. Even if they do have a big jump on Monday, we're just getting started. I mean, the train is leaving the station, but you still have a chance to run and jump on there and catch it before it really uh, really uh, you know, takes a big uh, move and is too far away for anybody to catch. But anyway, that's it for today's podcast. I got to wrap up because I'm, I'm, I'm going to be cut off by uh, the, the, the Fox. But don't forget the locals. I'll be doing the live locals on Sunday night. So sign up at Shift Premium 
at Shift Radio uh, slash premium. Bye for now. See you all Sunday night. Thank <laughs> you.